I'd like to share with you a message that deals with baptism and communion and how we identify with Christ through these two wonderful ordinances of the church. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 says this, then Jesus came to them and said, this is after the resurrection, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Here it is, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So water baptism, he said, I want you to go and I want you to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's go to Luke chapter 22 for a moment. This would be the scene of the Last Supper. Jesus in the upper room with the disciples. Starting at verse 14, it says, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Notice that phrase, do this in remembrance of me. Now, if you read that in the English, it sounds like, well, just do it and you're kind of one and done. But if you read it in the Greek, it is saying, do this and do it over and over and over. Consistently practice what I'm telling you. And that is, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in verse 20, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant to my blood, which is poured out for you. You know, as committed followers of Jesus Christ, I believe it has become our life's goal to please the Lord in all that we do and all that we say. The Bible is now our guide in all matters of faith, and it determines how we conduct our everyday lives. There are a number of specific commands that Jesus gave to his followers that would clearly identify those who belong to him. Two of these commands, amongst many, but two of these commands, water baptism and communion, are considered to be ordinances of the church. Interesting that the church has practiced these two ordinances for 2,000 years. The ordinance is a ceremony that has been directly commanded by the Lord and is to be observed without end by the church. In this case, this morning, we're talking about water baptism and about communion. Discovered Church practices these two ordinances, which have been directly commanded by our Lord and have been given seamlessly passing down from generation to generation. The act of water baptism, that is being immersed in water in response to receiving salvation, is a very important first step in the Christian's life. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, we see our Lord Jesus himself coming to his cousin John, John the Baptist, to be baptized. And he says he is doing this in order to fulfill all righteousness. 
He then went on to establish baptism as a timeless ordinance for his church, calling every believer to follow in his footsteps. In our modernized comfort zone Christianity, we do, sad to say, tend to make God's commandments something far too light, take it or leave it. Quoting from the late Chuck Colson, here's what he said. He said, most Westerners take baptism for granted, but for many in the world, the act requires immense courage. For example, in countries like Nepal, it once meant imprisonment. For Soviet, Chinese, and Eastern Bloc believers, there was a time when it was akin to signing their own death warrant. A wedding ring is an outward sign that an individual is married. A military uniform is an outward sign that an individual has enlisted in a particular branch of service. Similarly, water baptism is a symbol designed by God to identify a person as a disciple and follower of Jesus Christ. However, you need to know that I use that word symbol here with a great deal of caution. To say that it's just a symbol takes away the profound spiritual dimension that is found in water baptism. Baptism is a symbol, but friends, it's much, much more than just a symbol. When we're saved, we are spiritually baptized, the Bible says, into Christ. We are in Christ, and Christ is in us. We're baptized into Christ, into his body, and into his church. Baptism in water is an outward representation of these inward realities, that we are baptized into Christ, his body, and into his church. The biblical symbolism of water has very interesting uh, place in Scripture. It refers to an inner cleansing. It refers to a spiritual rebirth, both which are central themes that are found clearly in water baptism. One might liken water baptism in essence unto a funeral. You say unto a funeral, what do you mean by that? It is an act of faith in which we testify both to God and to the world around us that the person we once were is now dead and is now buried, and that we have been raised as new creations in Jesus Christ. And everyone said to that, amen. It is beautifully illustrated in scripture, this truth. In Romans chapter six and verse four, here's what it says. We are therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of God the Father, we too may live a new life. Notice in Romans 6 and verse 4, it talks about both death and being baptized into death or burying the old self and being raised to life in the brand new life in Jesus Christ. Being baptized is a direct command. Jesus himself gave this command and it should never be viewed as something that's optional in the Christian life. Water baptism is an act that God expects of every believer. In fact, among Jesus' last recorded words while here on this earth, just before his ascension, he said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Mark 16 and verse 16. So there's a sequence I want you to see in scripture. You'll find this over and over and over. The sequence is this. 
Believe and then be baptized. Receive and be baptized. To repent and be baptized. It is never the other way around. It's always the believing, the receiving, the repentance follows being baptized. I want you to think about that for a moment. The call then to believe in Jesus Christ, as we find in Mark 16, 16, is a call not only to follow after him, but it is a call that's welded together right with that very same statement to be baptized. If Jesus were to put baptism into a category that is that important, I think it ought to be very important to us. It's interesting to note that you'll never read, as you go through the pages of the Bible, you'll never read of an unbaptized Christian anywhere in the Bible. Let me say that again. You'll never find an unbaptized Christian anywhere in the Bible with one exception. And the one exception, I think you probably know what it is. It is the penitent thief on the cross. And he said, Father, you know, remind, or as you come into your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. That is the one and only case you find in the Bible. In fact, all throughout scripture, baptism immediately followed a person's salvation. Baptism wasn't seen as something to be delayed and something to be put off, something you just kind of, someday you're gonna feel good about it, right about it, but rather it is something you do out of obedience. Let's take a quick look at some of the conversions that we'll find in the Bible, in the book of Acts. Now in Acts chapter two, you'll remember on the day of Pentecost, Peter, he preaches a message. It was a strong word that day that he gave on the day of Pentecost. And in that, he instructed them in verse 38, that's Acts 2, 38, he instructed them this way, repent and be baptized. See, there once again, that is that same sequence. It is always in order, repent and then be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now that is what Peter said at the end of his message to them on the day of Pentecost. And then I want you to see in verse 41, it records the crowd's response. How did they respond that day to Peter's words? And the Bible says, and I quote, then they that gladly received his word were baptized. So they heard his word, and those that heard it gladly, they went and were baptized. You'll find this theme so prevalent in the book of Acts. Acts chapter eight records the account of Philip leading the Ethiopian eunuch to Christ. And I love that story because I always like to kind of picture it, that he is on a uh, tricycle motorcycle, all right? And so this Ethiopian, he's riding by, stops at the stoplight, and uh, Philip hears him. He's over there kind of mumbling. He's trying to figure out scripture. And he jumps on his motorcycle with him, and down the road they go, and he begins to open the scriptures to him. And the Bible tells us that they finish this conversation up, and he says to him, what is hindering me from being baptized? He asked of Philip. And Philip replied, if you believe with all of your heart, you may, this is your moment, you may. And then they came to a body of water rather suddenly and Philip promptly baptized this one that is called the Ethiopian eunuch. And so you find, here's a man that was really trying to find, you know, where God is at and what can God do in his life, which was a mess. And uh, 
He finds not only faith in Christ, and then he goes and he says, let me tell you, I, I want to be baptized. What, what hinders me from following after the Lord in water baptism? And Philip says nothing, he found the water, and they were baptized. In Acts 22, the first thing that the apostle Paul was instructed to do, after his conversion there on the Damascus Road, he was told, I want you to go and be baptized. Now there's several other instances that we can look at as well. In Acts chapter 10, you'll find the story or the account of Cornelius and his household. And that entire household along with Cornelius, which were Gentiles, they found Christ, a relationship with Christ was begun and they were baptized. In Acts chapter 16, Lydia committed her life to Christ and was baptized. In Acts chapter 16, towards the latter part of the chapter, the Roman jailer and his family, they gave their lives to Christ and they were baptized. In Acts chapter 18, the ruler of the synagogue, along with many others, the Bible talks about in Acts 18, they were baptized. In Acts chapter 19, many in Ephesus, they, there was a revival that broke out there and as a, mode, as a mode of identifying with the one that they were now serving, they were baptized. In each case, there was a sense of urgency, an urgency that was attached to baptism. These people all responded to Jesus in simple faith, yet they did not see their faith as being fully complete until they obeyed God by being baptized. You see, friends, a living faith produces an obedient heart, and water baptism is often the first act of obedience for a brand new believer. Individuals, however, that do not follow the Lord in water baptism often have a much higher rate of reverting back to their own lifestyle. Sadly, they return back to the person they once were. After all, if our walk with God doesn't begin with the most basic act of obedience, then it's very likely that we're going to struggle with obedience in other areas of our life. And we find that to be true for those that refuse or deny or, or put off or just ignore being baptized. When we receive God's saving grace, it is no accident that he calls us to identify with him and to identify with him through water baptism. We are struggling, many people are struggling with guilt in their lives over their past. Things that they wish they would have never done, things that they are so embarrassed over. And it may be, if that's what you're feeling today, you're feeling guilt and remorse for things that are in your past somewhere. It may be because you haven't yet given a proper burial to the person that committed those things. That's your own life, amen? No longer are you that individual. Water baptism is a very powerful reminder of God's wonderful grace. I love that portion of scripture that says, where sin abounds, the grace of God doth much more abound. And so it's literally saying, if, if sin takes you this far, God goes further to bring you back. If sin takes you down deeper, God reaches deeper to bring you out. And so where sin abounds, the grace of God doth much more abound. And water baptism is a powerful reminder of God's wonderful grace. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 17, which has become the favorite of so many. I don't know of anybody that's ever been through Teen Challenge that did not come out of Teen Challenge remembering 
First, or 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And in verse 18, it goes on to say, and all things are of God. Hallelujah. How many remember when things were not of God? And so often, you know, we find ourselves in our mind repeating these old things over and over. And the Lord says, I want you to know once and for all, you are saved, you followed me in baptism, your life, your old life before has been buried and the new one has come up out of the water. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. Ultimately, it all goes back then to Jesus' statement. The statement that he made in John chapter 14 and verse 15. In reality, it all rests in this, so much of the Christian life. If you love me, Jesus said, you will keep my commandments. Baptism is a simple yet very profound act of obedience. And this act of obedience will follow you and carry you all life long. I'll never forget the day that I was baptized. I was about maybe 12 or 13 years old, but I committed my life to Christ and I was so glad to know that whatever my life had been, now I've got a brand new fresh start. You talk about a reboot, God reboots us, amen? And he takes away whatever the old memories are and the old past, he removes it all. And this, this simple act of obedience to baptism it makes a declaration, and that declaration is, I identify with Christ and his crucifixion. Jesus was not just crucified in the wrong place at the wrong time, but he gave his life for me. So we identify then in baptism with Christ and his crucifixion, but also with his death. He paid the death penalty for all of us. So we identify with Christ and his crucifixion, with his death, and then with his burial. You know, sometimes we hear, you know, through the news of someone that has been harboring a, 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 a corpse in their home for some long time. And it's the strangest stories. I mean, in some accounts, it could have been a son, maybe a mom or a daughter, or maybe it's someone else that they just could not, could not bear to be separated from. And months went by, and, and even several years have gone by in some cases. And the first thought that comes to all of us is how could you live in a house with a dead corpse that has been decaying over that long period of time? First thing that comes to mind, when something has died, then you deal with it, and you deal with it by burying. And so the old life, the old person that we are, we don't want that around any longer, amen? That is who we once were. That is not who we are. And because of who we were, we want to get rid of that so we can fully become what God has created us to be. And so baptism is a very simple and yet profound act of obedience that brings with it a, a life of great blessing. And if you have not yet followed this step of baptism and this step of obedience, I strongly encourage you, do it today. Don't put it off another day. There's great blessing. And let me tell you, there's going to be great rejoicing both in heaven and on earth as you follow the Lord this very day in water baptism. 
Now let me talk about communion for a few moments because that's another way we identify with Christ. So we talked about baptism and how we identify with Christ the baptism. Jesus said this is going to be one of the markers. For those that are my obedient followers, they will follow me and do as I have done and become baptized. But communion has a wonderful statement to it as well. I want you to go back with me one more time to Luke chapter 22. Verse 17 says, and after taking the cup, this is at the Last Supper, after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it amongst you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Otherwise, there's going to be, the Bible talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb. Have you read about that in the book of Revelation? There's going to be a day that we're going to be raptured back to heaven. And one of the first events that's going to take place is the marriage supper of the Lamb. Remember, you are the bride, the bride of Christ. And he's going to have a wonderful celebration there. And it's going to be a, a festive time together. And he said, for I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then in verse 19, and he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, remember what I said. The Greek there is saying it's not a one-time thing, but it's repetitive. Do this, and do this, and do this. Do not stop doing this in remembrance of me. If you read that from the ISV, which is the International Standard Version, it reads this way. Then he took a loaf of bread, gave thanks, broke it in pieces, and handed it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Keep on doing this in memory of me. Let me say it again. Keep on doing this in memory of me. For 2,000 years, the Church of Jesus Christ has kept the ordinances of baptism and communion, both vibrant and alive. Both baptism and communion clearly identify our relationship with Jesus Christ. Communion recalls Jesus' substitutionary death. It reminds us that he died in our place. We are the ones that had sinned. Sin has consequences. And the Bible says the consequences or the penalty of sin is death, separation from God. And Jesus took our place. He died for us. And through communion, we're saying, as we hold that cup in the hand, this is a reminder that his body was broken for me. It was bruised and beaten, spat upon, cursed. All of that he did for me. We can put it in the general sense and sometimes lose out on what it means to us individually. But communion brings us full circle, brings us right back. As we hold the cup in our hand, it reminds us Jesus gave his life for us, so we're reminded then of his substitutionary death. But it also reminds us of the resurrection, Jesus' resurrection from the dead. I am so glad we do not have you know, a history only of our Jesus, amen? Whereby you go to some gravesite or some tomb, like most of the world religions do, and that is where their leader is. Friends, our leader is alive and well. He's at right hand of God the Father, and he's listening and watching down on this service at this moment. And the Bible says he intercedes for us. 
He knows what your day is like. He knows what your week has been. And as difficult as it may have been, I want you to know Jesus was right there praying you through, pushing you through, and you have made it because of Jesus. Amen? And so we're reminded as we hold the cup in just a moment of his substitutionary death, we're reminded of the third day. Hallelujah. And he came forth out of the tomb, triumphant over Satan, over sin, over death, and over the grave. And we are united with him. Amen. And we are reminded as we hold the cup today of his promised return. He says, do not lose hope. For he that shall come will come and will not tarry. And when he returns, as we talked about last Sunday, he's not coming as a babe in a manger any longer. He is coming back. And the Bible says that he's coming back in power and in great glory. He is coming back to reclaim what belongs to him, the church, the bride of Jesus Christ. And every time you take communion, he says, I want you to remember, remember my death, remember the resurrection, Remember that I told you and I promised you, let not your hearts be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whether thou goest, and how can we know the way? And Jesus responded by saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Hallelujah. We're reminded of his substitutionary death, his resurrection on the third day, his promised return, and the old covenant was replaced by the new covenant. Thank God we're not under the law, we're under grace. Thank God we don't have to go and bring a lamb, a ram, or a goat and shed its blood because the precious lamb of God, Jesus Christ, gave his life once and for all of mankind. And communion reminds us of that. It's a moment of communion with Christ. It's also a moment of communion with fellow believers. You know, communion was a time when the early church would get together and they would call it koinonia. That's a Greek word, koinonia. Here's what koinonia means. Koinonia means partner or companion. I want you to understand this morning, you're my partner. You're my companion. You are, you're part of the body of Christ. I'm yours as well, whether you like it or not. The word koinonia means to share, share life together. And hence, in the beginning of communion, in the celebration of communion in the early church, they called it koinonia, but they also called it a love feast. It was a time when we would gather together and the church would gather together and express their love to God, but also to one another. It was a time when you could stop and think, you know, maybe I've said some things that I shouldn't have said to someone. Maybe I've, you know, just been kind of on edge lately. Maybe I've, I've stepped over what 
really a Christian should say and do and be. And it's a wonderful time to make things right. So the early church, they'd get together. They would celebrate their Lord and they would celebrate each other. I would encourage you today, celebrate one another. I'm so glad for the family of God. I'm glad that he put us into a family that we're not out there lone rangers doing this thing of life alone. It was never meant to be that way. And so as we hold the cup today, we're identifying with Christ and we're identifying with his body, the church. This can be a life-changing moment for you today as you identify with him. First of all, by saying, Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my life. I'm tired of carrying the past behind. I was in a meeting one time and a young lady got up and said something so profound at the end of the service. It was a service about forgiveness. And she came up and she said, you know, I discovered this morning during this service why I've been so tired. She said, as the bride of Christ, I've been, I've been dragging all my past behind me. All the people that I've had difficulties with, I've, I've been dragging them along. You know, this morning is a wonderful time to allow the Lord just to say, you know, it's okay. You can set them free. Let him go, let him go, let him be, it's okay. And he's also saying, now's the time when you can take and, and experience forgiveness in your own life. That heavy old load, that thing that really wears you out, dragging it around. And that's why it was so insightful because she, she was saying it, she was saying it like this, like I'm trying to drag my wedding train but on the wedding train is all the people that I'm dragging with me. And I'm just tired of it all. And she found forgiveness. And when she found forgiveness, she found freedom. And she found everything that her heart was longing for. And as she identified with Christ and said, Lord, I want you to save me. In that moment, her life was transformed and yours can be as well. Will you bow your heads this morning with me, Father? Thank you, Lord, for this.